If you're in business, you probably have a website, but can your site handle your growth? How many visitors before your site slows down or crashes? What about storage and data security? From web hosting to virtual servers, Pair Networks provides the online infrastructure you need to start, grow, and flourish. When it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. No frustrating chatbots are sitting on hold for hours. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. That's P-A-I-R.com. Begin PodFix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. Wow, it's been a long time since I've made a podcast, and I'm happy to be back. Been very, very busy all summer. I don't usually make a lot of podcasts in the summer because of my fishing business, my fishing guide service I run all summer long. It just keeps me too much time in the water, not much time in front of the computer. And then this fall, I was getting ready to come back on, and I got asked to audition for a production of Young Frankenstein the Musical. And, of course, I, surprisingly, not of course, but uh, then I end up becoming uh, the monster in Young Frankenstein the Musical. That wraps up this weekend. This weekend being the last weekend of October. And uh, then we're back. We're back to normal. Actually, not normal, because November is National Podcast Posting Month, and that means every day for the month of November, I will be dropping a new podcast, and I could use your help. Uh, I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Tonight in the podcast, it's pretty simple. I'm going to talk about National Podcast Posting Month, what I've been up to, and uh, then I've got an interview with Doc Martin, our chief science correspondent. We've been talking about eels, American eels, or sorry, European eels, and scientists have finally discovered, finally discovered how the American eel migrates to the Sargasso Sea of Spons. We'll talk about that with Doc Martin. So National Podcast Month is November, and what I do for that is every year I pick a theme, and this year, a listener picked the theme. The theme is Fishing Ruined My Life. And I'll be looking from you, for you, to help me with this. I'm looking for fishing stories, uh, fishing events that went wrong. Could be funny, could be tragic, could be mediocre. I need 30 stories, so whatever you got, you've got. I'll be dropping the first one on Tuesday. You'll get an idea for it. And it's very easy. All you've got to do is call me, 607-378-FISH, 607-378-FISH. And leave your fishing story in the voicemail, and I'll use it on the podcast. It's as simple as that. And if you've got a business you want to plug while you're at it, do it. Drop it in there. Uh, I do want to thank a business. Uh, Wyoming Whiskey has sent me a little bottle of whiskey, and I made a delicious, very, very yummy uh, drink out of it. An old-fashioned, my favorite whiskey drink, and uh, it is quite lovely. So I want to thank Wyoming Whiskey for sending that along. I'll talk more about them on a future episode because I do want to get into the content of this one. And again, we don't have a lot of time because I've got to get to my show tonight, but I wanted to drop this podcast into your ear holes today. And I want to thank you for sticking with the Fish Nerds, even though we took a little break. We are back and back with a vengeance. <laughs> All right, so let's get right into um, we'll get right into what I've been up to, and then I'll get right into... Um, Doc Martin. And what I've been up to is going to be very, very short. One of the big things I did this summer, and I do every summer, end of the summer, is I do the National 
uh, National. The New England Paralyzed Veterans NEPVA Bass Fishing Tournament is where I take paralyzed vets or um, disabled vets out on my pontoon boat, and we fish a tournament. It's the only tournament I fish. I'm not generally a supporter of fishing tournaments as a rule. I don't understand them. It's like it becomes a sport to me, and sports are not my are not my thing, but I figure for paralyzed vets, it's worth the effort. And this happened on Lake Winnipesaukee. There were 21 boats. We went out bass fishing. I had a, a vet on the boat and his daughter, and we went out bass fishing, and we weren't catching very many bass. And I saw, you know, out in deeper water, we were fishing like shallow water for smallmouth bass, and we saw out in deeper water lots of bass boats in like 40, 50, 60 feet of water catching bass, and I've never seen that before. It's outside the kind of fishing I usually do. And so I thought I'd give it a go. So I rolled up on one of the bass boats and I asked them what they were doing and they were doing drop shotting. And I've never fished a drop shot before. I didn't even, I read about it barely. I didn't care about it. So I thought I'd give it a go. So I Googled how to drop shot and it was so basic, you know, take a, uh, take a weight, put it at the end of your string and then a foot up, make a hoop and tie your hook on. And then I used a a Ned rubber worm, so like a three-inch rubber worm on my regular bass hook, which is a one-out hook, put it on there so it's dangling, and then the only technique, and this is super basic, you drop your weight to the bottom, and you try to hold that weight on the bottom, and the action of holding your weight on the bottom is action enough for the bass to hit, and boom, before you know it, we had caught our five fish for the day, and we were able to go back and do the weigh-in and get in the tournament. Five fish was how many fish we were allowed to weigh in, and we ended up with about uh, 11 pounds of bass, which I think is pretty good bass for bass day. And we got them weighed in, and it turns out we came in seventh place overall out of 21 boats. Not bad for someone who doesn't tournament fish. We'll talk more about tournament fishing and some of my problems with it in a future episode. And it's questionable whether I'll go back and do more, but New England Paralyzed Veterans Association is a group worth doing. I mean, these vets have given so much for us. The least we could do is take them fishing, but I wish there was a better way to weigh them in besides bringing the fish out of the lake up to a weigh station and then putting them back in the lake again. Well, again, there's some problems with that, which we'll discuss in a future episode. Oof, I hate to be rushing you, but I'm going to get you right into the conversation with Doc Martin right now. Here's Doc Martin. Welcome to Codependence, the weekly podcast that gives you direct access to me, Maya Allen, and my sis, Sierra Miller. Every week, we give you insider access into our sisterhood and lives. Part self-help and part comedic relief, codependence is all about letting your guard down. Expect a lot of laughs and maybe some tears as we navigate this crazy world together. Join us every Wednesday for this funny, tea-spilling, shade-throwing podcast. If you're in business, you probably have a website, but can your site handle your growth? How many visitors before your site slows down or crashes? What about storage and data security? From web hosting to virtual servers, Pair Networks provides the online infrastructure you need to start, grow, and flourish. When it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. No frustrating chatbots are sitting on hold for hours. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. That's P-A-I-R.com.
All right. <laughs> it's really hard not to laugh while it plays. <laughs> it's, it's, that was made by a listener who it's wants absolutely to, wonderful. Who wants to remain unknown. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> but I, I love it so much, and it's so perfect for this. Uh, all right. We're here with Doc Martin. Doc Martin is our chief science correspondent, and the only correspondent still standing after 10 years, over 300 episodes of podcasting. So, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think so. There might be more floating back, but no one's, no one's come on in a long time, so we, we can edit that <laughs> a little bit. There, there may be some hanging around, but some have made their own podcast now, and some just don't interact anymore. It's 10 years is a long time. It is. It's a That's, long time. It's almost unreal, but um, I still like fish. Well, me too. And we're here Yay. to talk about eels, and we're going to start with a little bit of like natural history of eels, talk about a book about eels, and then some really big eel science. And that's why we played the sex, because eels are so unique in the way that they respond, reproduce, and where they reproduce. Before we get into that, Doc, so people aren't clear, what's an eel? And we're talking about American eel and European eel specifically. Yeah, so a uh, great question. Um, a lot of people think if it's kind of long and tubular, it's an eel. Mm -hmm. um, that is incorrect. So eels are a very specific type of taxonomy. Um, and just because it's long and slimy and has fins does not mean it's an eel. Uh, there's a lot of fish that look like eels. Um, and so Anguilliformes is generally the family of true eels. And so um, they are bony fishes, um, which is important. They do have paired fins. So they do have two paired pectoral fins. Um, they have a lot of the other general jaw characteristics of jawed fishes uh, and other things like that. Um, I think the important breakdown is things like, oh, there's some glass lizards that some people call eel-like, um, and interestingly, also called snakes sometimes. Mm -hmm. They are neither, they are lizards. Uh, they just don't have legs and they blink. So if it blinks, it's a lizard, and if it doesn't blink, it's a snake. So there's some other fun taxonomy differences. I didn't, I didn't know that. So. Oh really? Yeah. 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 So uh, glass lizards are super cool. Uh, we have them out here in Kansas. I actually don't know a lot about their distribution. I just know that um, we catch them sometimes, and they they blink. So That's you know wild. that they're they're a lizard. <laughs> All right. No, um, no. And of course, you look at the internal structure too. Right. That's a, a quick quick and dirty rule there. So yeah. Um, not all long slimy things are eels. A uh, hagfish, again, not nope. an eel. Nope. Doesn't How about count. lamprey? Not an eel. Lamprey, not an eel. Even though Doesn't one of their common either. names is lamprey eel, which, ah, I, which I hate. No, um, I hate it, but well, they say it. Starfish aren't fish. That's is true. All I'm saying. Neither are jellyfish. So, so yeah, fair point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there are things that are true eels, and then there's lots of other stuff that can look like eels that are not eels. Okay. I think, and if people know eels when they see them a lot of the time, especially nerds listening to this show. And we, and we want Probably. and we want to really get into the, I want to say American eel, but this study we're going to talk about is on the European eel, which biologically is exactly the same animal. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's very cool. Uh, and yeah, um, that's really interesting. They spawn in the same place. Right, the same population, they like, right? They kind of look the same, mm -hmm. but then they go different places. They do. So that's, that, this is one of those weird things. Like When I used to teach science, we, we teach speciation, and we would teach like how you can be 
geographically separate to be a species or biologically separated. But these guys are geographically separated as maturing animals. And when they come back, they're not geographically separated. And biologically, they're the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are they two different animals because they have two different scientific names or do we just give them names based on where they live? And that's how we're going to roll with it. Um, yeah. So what is a species? This is actually one of my favorite topics to talk I about um, because much, yeah. everybody feels like they know and everybody's wrong. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're listening, you're wrong. Um, right, unless well, you happen to be a scientific species taxonomist and then you probably write some of the time. And then they disagree still within that community. That's right. So Yeah. <laughs> But you know, but, but some basic we can. There's some basic rules of thumb that we can build species based on. You know, we we. Yeah, it's one so, of those things. It's easy to say, okay, a lion is a different species than a puppy. You know, right? That's an easy one. But mm-hmm. but two like you know like a a a a, a, a grizzly bear and a polar bear, biologically almost the same animal, but they're different species, right? Like they're but their DNA is the same. It's the same thing. Similar, similar-ish. similar yeah. And, yeah. So, and how, how different is different is yeah. really the essential question that we have to end up asking. And so there's different species concepts. Um, there's a very simple one where they just look different, so they're different. Um, morphologic species idea that the morphology is different, so that separates them out. Um, there's a lot of problems with this one because people tend to think a lot of things look the same. Um, if you've ever tried to seine um, in any kind of river that's large and has an abundant cyprinid population, uh, and you don't know your species ID, you probably pulled up like 20 species, but people are like, those are all the same because they're all minnows. You have um, no idea, and right? It only hurts my heart every time that that is said out loud. Um, and then there's the idea that there's, you know, the geographic species concept. So geographically, they just live in different places and so they can't reproduce. And so they are distinctly separate. And then over time that they might independently evolve. Um, the biologic species concept where, you know, they can mate and reproduce and produce viable offspring. Um, evolutionary species concept. So are they, you know, evolving in the same way along similar trajectories? So, so this might happen, you know, hyperbole to prove a point. If an alien from the Andromeda galaxy, for reference, we're in the Milky Way galaxy. Galaxies are really, really big. Um, Thank you. Comes down uh, <laughs> uh, onto Earth and walks out of their spaceship and they look like a human. And you take their DNA, which they have, uh, and their DNA comes back as indistinguishable from humans. We might want to call that the same species. They could interbreed with us, but clearly they came from a different galaxy that we assume has no evolutionary relationship to our own. Um, so are they the same species? Uh, probably a lot of us might be squinting our eyes going, oh, I don't really like that very that question very much. You know, it makes me uncomfortable. And so lots of different ways to think about differentiating species. And that's that's what the EO gets into the weeds about. Well, because it's a really hard one because it's a really tough because one. we also yeah. look at populations and there's one population but that separates, mm-hmm. you know, as they, as they mature. So it, it's really That's confusing. Right. And so just a little history with eels. For, if you don't know, e, uh, well, you know, Doc, but listeners may not know that eels are catagomous, right? And that means mm-hmm. they're born in saltwater, live most of their life in freshwater, and then return to saltwater to spawn. Except for the males, mm-hmm. they hang out in brackish water mostly. So a little bit confusing there. And I think they're the yeah. only, only fish that does that. Is that correct? Or that we know about? Oh, Oh, boy. I, that's what I read years ago. Fish? I think I read that in the Book of Eels or something. I, I read that once, and I remember it, and I don't remember where oh. I read it. I oh, boy. Yeah. 
But there's you can't name another one off the top of your head. I guarantee it. I can't name another right. one off the top of my head, but I am not the knower of all things. So right. I'm a right. little hesitant to well, say. Let's the say only the one. only one we know about here at the Fish Nerds. And if you know one, let us know. Okay. Uh, and that way, because I've never heard of another one, and that's how I've read it forever. I might have read that once in Northern Hemisphere. Maybe I read it differently. Now my, my brain is jogging something. I don't know. Yeah. But either way, you, you'll be hard-pressed to find another yeah. one. <laughs> Anadromous is more common. Those are your trout and salmon. Right. Or a lot of your salmonids anyway. Right. And, and also your sea lampreys. And your lampreys, yes. Yeah. That's true, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also your, your uh, temperate basses. So like, so there's lots of different ones of those. Your, kinds your striped bass and and, the, and also there's a few other smaller fish too that do it. There's a lot of fish that do that, and mm-hmm. and that was a way of escaping glaciers as they came through. You know, and they can go to the ocean and be safe and come back later. And but we can skip the evolution on that. Let's get into eels more. Okay. I really want to focus on these eels here. Uh, yeah. So the baby eels. Yes. Um, look super weird. They're so cool looking. They're microscopic the, almost. Yeah, and they're they look like little glass very see-through transparent leaves almost um so different that we didn't think they were eels at first right so they were classified as a totally different species uh until we found out that those are just how the babies look which is so insane it's so wonderful it is wild Um, yeah and then as they grow up they uh change colors so one they become not transparent they can get pretty large um and then they can be brownie grayish green. with some modeling. Yeah, I've seen green. I've seen Greenish. yellow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Up to silver. Mm-hmm. Um, with a nice bright silver depending on their stage of maturity um, and some other, you know, just morphometric life history traits. Yeah, I but guess. all these changes happen as they're migrating. And they, when they first start the migration, they're born out near the Sargasso Sea. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a minute. And yeah. then they drift in the currents till they get to the shorelines and, the, and to where they can enter freshwater systems and in mm-hmm. that time is when they do a lot of their, their early growth yep. and when they get to the shoreline i think they call them glass seals or elvers mm-hmm. and there's a big market for those in japan and china and, and i know off the coast of maine up here where i live it's a it's a huge business people can collect mm-hmm. them and sell them and then they grow them in agriculture in in spain and china or spain in china and in japan to, for food uh and then the, the females mostly enter the freshwater systems and they'll travel thousands of miles inland into Europe and United States for their most of their adult life. And it could be years, 7, 14, maybe more, before they decide to head back out to the ocean to spawn. And uh, we catch them in the springtime fishing for them uh, in brackish water, lots of small ones, like a foot long. That's a small eel. We've got um, yeah. um, myself and some colleagues have caught them in Indiana, mm-hmm. uh, which is, per, that's pretty far inland. That's pretty far inland. We do, yeah. we do have some records. I think at least one actual record uh, out in Kansas, out here in the middle. Yeah. So that's like all the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what I read once is like they can, is, and I've seen it. I've seen them out of the water at night. I've seen them as roadkill. So they'll cross roads and highways oh, wow. on rainstorms. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them out hunting in the grasses for, for frogs. So they'll mm-hmm. come out of the water and they'll travel at underwater rivers and underwater water bodies and they just find their way and they're not in a rush. They're just going. <laughs> and who knows yeah, they, how they decide. They don't rush. Their, yeah. um, their cycle is, I mean, it's not unpredictable, but it's very strange with how long certain parts of their time take. We have a lot better idea for most other species except for eel. And for a long time, um, because we didn't know that they went out to the Sargasso Sea to spawn. 
um, folks, this would be kind of pre-science, pre- right. um, thought that they just arose from the mud. Yes, I read that. They just kind of <laughs> rise up. There they are, Neil. Yeah. There they yeah. are from the mud. Well, and that's interesting because that's not surprising, though, because they bury themselves down the mud. And you can see mm-hmm. their heads poking up. We had one in an aquarium for quite a long time when I worked for the Emiskeg Fishways until it escaped, uh, which they, they do. They're, escape They're good escape artists, yes. But it would. It would bury itself down in the, in the gravel, and it was great. We had it trained to uh, feed off of our hands. We would just reach in with a worm and feed it. And after a while, you, you put your hand in it. It would just come and just kind of slide around your arm and look for food in your hands and stuff. And it was really cute. Yeah, that's so wonderful. I know it was really fun, um, but they're they're so cool. And then when they're ready to migrate back out to spawn, the females, their eyes turn this bright white color, and then they make their way slowly back out to the ocean and back out somewhere near the Sargasso Sea to spawn. And they collect the males come with them as they pass through, and they just kind of go. And for years, uh, for years and years and years, I've been saying scientists have never found eels that are ready to spawn, like a kind of wild eel that has eggs or found where their actual spawning grounds are. And this is why this new science is a big deal to nerds like us. Huge deal. Yeah. Um, for a long time, scientists didn't even know how eels reproduced at all. Yeah, I'm not um, sure just, we still know that. <laughs> well, right, yeah. yeah. We don't know what, what mating looks like. Mm-hmm. We don't know how or where they actually do the deed. We don't know any of that. Um, I think it was Sigmund, was it Sigmund Freud who wanted to solve the eel question and then eventually gave up and went into be a famous psychologist. You know, that sounds, that sounds familiar. Yeah. You'd think with my, with my degree in psychology, I would have known that one thing. (laughs) Um, but yeah, he, uh, yeah. Sigmund Freud, who we all know, you know, the Mm -hmm. Freudian slip. Right. Sometimes an (laughs) eel is just an eel. He once said. Yeah, um, but he, he his whole thing when he was a younger man was like, I'm going to solve the eel problem, and then it, he just gave up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he did other famous things, which we that's a whole other podcast. Right. But um, yeah, it was too much for a lot of people to solve, and right. so we have finally direct evidence um, yeah. of adult European eels mm-hmm. migrating to the breeding place in the Sargasso Sea. Right. And this came out, this is hot off the press from, uh, looks like Rosalind Wright uh, and their colleagues published in Scientific Reports, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, this is like a week ago. Um, this is but, really fresh news. This is Yeah, yeah. this is like super recent. This right. happened. Um, and it's just, I have a lot of feelings about it because it's really, really exciting. But when humans learn things about things, sometimes they ruin it for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, please don't ruin this. Thank you. Right. Right. So they, they <laughs> now they were able, they were tracking a bunch of, they've been trying to track eels for years. Uh, yes. In fact, they've been trying to, they've been trying to find the spawning ground since around 1920 when they first discovered uh, baby eels floating in the Sargassum in the Sargasso Sea. Mm-hmm. That's how we know it's in that area. And so from that point forward till now, the tracking has begun. They've been trying for years and years. So that's a long time. Was that 100 years? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100 years yeah. in the making of just that one problem. And now mm-hmm. they've they've at least solved part of the European, which is probably more than one pathway these eels are taking. But they've oh, tracked, they've got, I would think so. I, yeah. I would imagine there's thousands of different ways you can get there. But mm-hmm. they finally did. They were tracking them. And it was only a small amount of eels they were able to track. I don't remember the number. Um, like it, was, it, it was in single digits, it, you know. It was, it was, but but they but they found them. Oh, 21. We're tracking. It was twenty one 
female European eels. That's what they tracked. And they tracked okay. them. They tracked them southwest through the Azores, which is a uh, volcanic archipelago. 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 <laughs> In the North Atlantic uh, Ocean, west of Portugal. So that's kind of the track wow. they were on. So just small, very small number. Oh, know. wow. And they tracked them for 40 to 366 days. Yeah, it took a, it's a long time. The oh average God. speed, travel speed of, of the European eel is four miles per day. So that wow. is, it's a long journey. It's thousands of miles. Uh, four miles a day. Yeah, four miles a day, which is tremendously slow. It's ridiculously slow. Not- Although I challenge all of our listeners to tape their ankles together and then tape their arms to their sides and then see how far they get in a day. I would, I, that would be a fun challenge to watch. But the difference is, is eels are meant to move that way. You know, they have. That's the, true. That's true. You know, that the way? Slight differences. Didn't I guess. you say God made them that way once? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, funny. Um, but the distance, longest distance they traveled was two thousand two hundred and seventy-five kilometers, or one thousand four hundred ten miles. Is the longest one huh. tracked, which is a pretty long haul. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Super crazy, but very exciting. Uh, I mean, and now that they've got a location of where this is happening, I'm I'm going to guess that more maybe video footage or actual notes of folks watching the spawning happen to see what do they do and how long do those step ta- steps take and right. all that stuff. Well, we don't know. Well, in some of the stuff that was surprising with this journey is that they found the eels would go down as much as a thousand meters deep in the ocean in this traveling. Wow. And so they can adapt from being in shallow fresh water to down a thousand meters deep, which is 3,000, roughly 3,000 feet deep where most things can't, can't handle it. Yeah. It's a, yeah it, that pressure change would be just, I mean, debilitating, yeah. <laughs> lethal. Yeah, and and because of because they like most most spawning fishes when they are traveling to spawn, it's a beeline. They are anxious to get there. They well, anxiety is the right word, but they are they want to get there as fast as they can, you mm-hmm. know, in the most efficient way possible. Eels don't seem to be caring much about being efficient uh, because of the way they go is not the most straight, direct route, and they're not in a hurry. They're just making their way. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's a it's about the journey, not the destination for the eels. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's interesting too because like the other things that I read, I I read a lot of the article, and I have a lot more questions than I, than the article answered. I just, you know, I I know the pathway they went. I mm-hmm. it said in, in, in I read an article about the article too, and it said until now scientists have not found a, a female with eggs. It didn't say though in the article that they found a female with eggs. So I didn't find, oh. I didn't find, did they actually find a female with eggs? Oh. The, so the article, the article about the scientific journal article said that until now, but then it didn't cite in that article, they found females with eggs. So are they in that journey developing the eggs or like, when does that happen in the journey? Because we haven't caught them anywhere else. So it's kind of a weird, a weird problem to, to be questioning. Like, did they actually find a spawning female or did they... How do, how do you put a tracking device on a spawning female if you don't know? If you, I don't know. It's, there's a lot going on here with my, my brain as far as what are they doing? Yeah. yeah when, do the egg, when do the eggs show up? Because we haven't found eggs in, in eels until before then. So. I don't know. It doesn't, I didn't find it. I couldn't find it. 
That's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now and I'm like, that is a good question. Right. So I'm, so I, like I said, I read a summary of the, of the journal article in a different, huh. you know, in a different publication because it's easier for my not scientist brain to read. So that was a question. I'm like, so did they find a whole bunch of eels in that area that were ready to drop their eggs or did they? Although our study did not yet yield definitive evidence of the mechanisms of navigational influence, like ocean currents, Mm -hmm. olfactory cues, temperature fronts, magnetic fields, or seamounts, ours is the first direct evidence of a, a migrating adult European eel reaching the presumed breeding place. They're not 100%. So they're not a hundred percent, but they do have the tracking. So, and then it's a breeding female. So there's I, that leaves a lot of the specifics still up right. in the air. Do they know for sure she was going to breed? Do they know for sure they don't know where they don't know the exact location? No, they still, don't know that. But now they know that what they know is they know one route. That he yep. ended up taking. Oh, that 20. Well, there's 21. I don't. Did they all go the same route? They all went route? roughly the same direction. Yeah. Okay. I think they tracked so. them all from the same area. They kind of all came down together. But I imagine okay. with the distribution of, of these eels around the world, there's going to be hundreds of migration yeah. routes, maybe thousands. Those have got to be. Yeah. Because the, obviously American eels aren't going to go over, <laughs> but maybe they would, but they probably wouldn't go over to Europe and go with those guys down. I mean, that's making, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but they could. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> It's not out of the question. We don't know, but it seems yeah. it seems bonkers, you know, for nature to to do that. But yeah, this still isn't like watching anybody lay eggs. This nope. isn't like watching spawning happening. This isn't, you know, any of uh, eggs hatching or anything no. like that. So, that's still all. Under- so this is just the very beginning of that mm-hmm. answer. It just it's not satisfying at all. It's exciting. No, but it it's makes exciting. But it makes me want more. <laughs> Right. right. It makes well, me, yeah. that's, I think that's the human condition. Isn't right. It? <laughs> but, it, but it is big news because it changes my narrative for years. I've been saying the same thing about eels. I've been saying, mm-hmm. and scientists have never been able to track them. And they put, you know, tracking devices have always failed, which was true until last week. And now, yeah, now it's not true. Now we tracked them. Now we tracked some, 21 of them. Some. <laughs> A very small percentage. Yeah. So what are the implications though, Doc? What do you think this all means? Well, um, I'm worried um, about fishing pressure. Absolutely. Yeah. They're going to start dragging something through that area. Um, I mean, not necessarily from scientists, but these are valuable organisms Mm -hmm. for, you know, the fishing industry and the food industry. And so um, I love that we know things, but knowing things comes with a cost that's Mm -hmm. sometimes really unfortunate. And I think that that's, it makes me very nervous on right. the surface of the excitement. That, well, because because um, eels, to, to eels, know things is cool. Yeah, because eels have overcome a lot of human obstacles. Dams being mm-hmm. one of the biggest ones. They've they figured out how to get around a lot of dams. Not all of them. They get pretty beat up yep. by the dam still. They figured out how to cross the road. They figured out how to. I mean, they figured out. They just maybe got lucky. <laughs> yeah, know? dealing with land use, water yeah. quality changes. Yeah. Like they they have. They've endured. Yeah, and they must be and, able uh, to to sustain some pretty wild water quality differences, given how far they travel around the world. They could probably handle near any water. It's yeah, I don't, I don't know, but yeah. I mean, you would have to think that that has has to be yes, right? Yeah. Otherwise, 
because the distribution wouldn't be what it is. It would be a very limited right. distribution to certain water quality. Do you see that with salmonids all the time? If it's not right, they're mm-hmm. not there. But everything, right. everything so far seems to be right for American eels and European eels. So, mm-hmm. so far, <laughs> so so far, so far. But it's exciting and it's neat news. Uh, and you were talking about a book, you were, the a Book of Eels. We were talking about that off air. A little yeah. Bit. So if you're into into this, uh, if you're listening and you're like, wow, I really wish I knew more about the eels, but I don't want to read uh, peer-reviewed science because it puts me to sleep. It's hard. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. That's fair. Um, then I strongly recommend the Book of Eels. Um, I don't know what year it came out. It's by Patrick Svensson. So I believe he's a Swede. So go Swedes. Um <laughs> And gosh, I'm trying to find. Oh, it came out in 2021. That's pretty new. It's pretty new. Yeah. I remember when it first came out, I read it and I forgot a lot of it or I I didn't integrate a lot of it. So, yeah. So, yeah, the the book of eels, it's got a long title, Our Enduring Fascination with the Most Mysterious Creature in the Natural World. And I would bet you in uh, 2022, there'll be the second edition because they have to yep, update all right. the chapters on <laughs> yeah. eel tracking and migration in that book. But it's great. It's got great diagrams and some yep. really helpful stuff with identifying eels and behavioral stuff, a lot of issues with humans interacting with eels. So it's a, uh, yep. it's a, good, it's a good read. I own it It's somewhere. not super long. No, no. So. I own it somewhere. But anyway, Doc, this is big news. I'm very excited about it. Yay. I'm also very glad to get the podcast back up off the ground again. I'm glad you're still with us. Yes, always. I just am, um, you know busy <laughs> how's your by the way so that's that's our, that's our whole eel thing that's all we know about the eels yep. how are your how's how's the kid uh well she turns four in february oh my gosh i know um i don't know how she is so strong-willed it certainly has nothing to do with who her parents well, are <laughs> i'll tell you a secret about about kids so remember yeah. when you there's a there's a phrase called the terrible twos mm-hmm. it's a lie two-year-olds are easy Four-year-olds. Yeah, I didn't mind. Um, mm. I don't mind any of the state. Well, all the stages are different, yeah, and I enjoy all of them for different four, reasons. I know some people have favorites, but yeah, four is the hardest. That's that's. Oh really? Oh yeah. Not yeah. even teenage years. <laughs> Teenagers are different. They're hard they're in some different. other ways because teenagers they act out and they know they're acting mm-hmm. out and they can't control it. And they know they can't control it. So what you do with them is you pretend to be angry as a parent. And you walk in the other room and you go, <laughs> big dummy, what are you doing? And then you go back and go, I'm so mad at you. And then you go out and pretend, like, yeah, you got to just compartmentalize. You're just being a teenager, but you can't say it to them. So you say, well, I can see why that's so upsetting. And then you walk into the room and go, man, I'm dummy. You know, just, <laughs> just how. You're going you're gonna to look back on this and be like, oh, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, we were all. No, yeah. um. She loves being outside. Mm-hmm. And so that's really nice just because I also like being outside. So we spend a lot of time um, looking at butterflies. So we usually go out to the um, tall grass prairie out here for the monarch migration in the fall. And they do a lot of tagging and catching the monarchs out of the prairie. And so Perfect. she likes to catch the butterflies. And right now she, um, she well, Halloween, she's going to be a shark witch. Ah, the best kind of witch. Yeah. yeah, so uh, she's really into sharks and lizards uh, right now, mm-hmm. and then also and the difference between magical. a shark and a lizard is lizards blink. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. <laughs> the only difference. Between the two. <laughs> that's the only difference between <laughs> sharks and lizards. That's, that's science. Blink. That's science. That's really funny. Oh, good. Um. Yep. So it's it's pretty fun. She keeps me pretty busy, but um, 
Yeah, it's I like to be mom. It's pretty awesome. It's it's a pretty good thing. I'm not a mom, but I like being a parent. So I, I get it. <laughs> a parent. A All right. Parent. All right, Doc. We got to end this because I got other things I got to get to. But I pre- I don't have anything to get to. Oh. <laughs> M- mostly, I have a nap I have to get to. I got to work at you know, got to work three in the morning. So noon rolls around. Awesome. I'm, well, I'm hey, hurting. thanks, Clay. We'll talk to talk again soon. Well, so that's it. <laughs> it's over. You've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big thanks, to Doc Martin. And uh, thank you to you for listening and getting back into the Fish Nerds podcast. I do appreciate you all. And until next time, follow the code of the Fish Nerds, spawn early and often. Never trust a freelance with strings against, strings against, <laughs> with strings attached. I forgot how to do this. And swim against the current every chance you get. We did it. We made a Whether podcast. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, Fish Nerds. Fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast, just for the halibut, fried in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Whether you're looking to build a website for your business, your hobby, your podcast, or just for fun, Pair Networks is your go-to web hosting partner. Not only do we have the lowest domain price in the industry, starting at just 11 bucks, we've got hundreds of stunning website templates to help you stand out from the crowd. You're not a techie? Not a problem. With our easy DIY site builders, you can launch your impressive website without any technical know-how. And when it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. P-A-I-R dot com.